right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sean Steele Law Firm podcast. I am Alexander Eisner. I am joined today by a phenomenal surgeon by the name of Dr. Roshan. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are very excited to have you on the podcast. Um, And before we get uh, too into the weeds, I want to start by introducing uh, some of your some of your your specialty. So you're you're a board certified orthopedic surgeon. Uh, you mainly do spines, am I right? Correct. That's right. Not 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 an extremity guy. We've talked to an extremity orthopedist before. We're now talking to a spine specialist. Um, and um, your website talked a lot about um, research and or specialty in minimally invasive surgery and. We got to be honest. As a, as something of a of a of a skeptic, I hear minimally invasive surgery on the radio and on television all the time. Um, and so the question I think we should start with is: when you say minimally invasive surgery, and that, that that's something you specialize in, what are you specifically talking about? So with with spine surgery, there there's been tons of research that shows if you can do it faster with smaller incision, there's less complication. So that's the whole idea of where minimally invasive came around. There's really no such thing as laser surgeries or anything like that. So incisions are made. Um, And so with minimally invasive, what we do is we make tiny incisions to be able to accomplish the same thing as if we were to make a large incision. And that's essentially what we do. We make very small incisions able to accomplish the same thing through half the amount of time. So what that does is the patient gets the same outcome, but yet there's less complications, less infections, faster recovery, and people return back to normal life at a much faster rate. So give me an example. What what is the type of surgery that you are now able to do in a minimally invasive way that previously, you know, was, was, was it done in a maximally invasive way. (laughs) Exactly. So traditionally, for example, if you had a fracture or you broke your back or you had such a damaged spine or disc, we would have to fuse the spine, essentially put the two bones together so they don't move anymore. That's been the treatment. Um, And over the last 10 years, the technology has changed so much that now we can make tiny little incisions and accomplish the same thing. Before we were making large incisions, putting in a, a lot of implants exposure of those implants, the air in the surgery room. And now all we really do is make tiny incisions, put our implants in through the tiny little incisions, and we're able to do that in half the time. So now we're able to accomplish a fusion surgery, which is considered a larger spine surgery in in a much faster time period and a faster recovery without making large incisions, damaging the bones or the muscles in the process of trying to fix the problem. And that's something that you have been on the forefront of, I imagine. Correct. Yeah. So during our training, I I trained in in a facility that was very much um, accustomed to doing minimally invasive surgery. And minimally invasive surgery also means that you don't have to do something in a hospital setting, which we all know is a dirtier place. So you can do it in a, in a smaller facility, such as a surgery center. So yes, from, from the very beginning, which was what, 12 years ago, I've been doing this now here. Um, that was what I was accustomed to. I didn't know any different or any better. Um, so coming out here, I realized they weren't doing that. So over the last 10 years, we've been doing most of our surgeries in a surgery center, outpatient procedures, making small incisions, four hour surgeries really became one hour procedures two-hour surgeries became 30-minute procedures. Patients were going home the same day. 
So we've been doing this, I would probably say over 10 years now, and we've had better success when we're doing it the minimally invasive way or in the surgery center way, as opposed to taking patients to the hospitals or, and making large incisions. So as, as you know, we've got, we've got a bunch of uh, very, very intelligent chiropractors listening in right now. Um, and I want to thank uh, all the ones who are tuning in live uh, for doing so. And, uh, and uh, you're certainly welcome to, t- to add a question in the Q&A. And I'd, I'll see if, if I can uh, get that question asked during, the, during this to our listeners later on. Uh, consider joining live next time so you can ask us some questions. But um, in terms of those chiropractors, what I, tell me a little bit about, obviously within the world of PI, how, what, what does the typical interface look like with you and a, and a chiropractor? I mean, how, how do you expect or like to get your cases referred to you? What are you hoping to see in a chiropractor's report or in their referral? Uh, give, give me a little bit of that, you know, the ideal path between chiropractor, patient, and, and, and orthopedic and surgeon. Before you get started on that, yeah. that's worthy a very important answer. I want to also talk about the other side of Dr. Russian's life. What is the other side no, of Dr. Rochon's life? But so, so when this is finished, give, give, give me a signal, and, and I've just got a couple of questions for them. They're, they're friendly. At the end? Well, not too much at the end. Okay, well, it's a half-hour podcast, and we're a couple minutes in, so feel yeah. free to come back when, you, when, you, when you've right. got that some that questions. makes me a little bit nervous. Then. It makes me a little bit nervous, too. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, so I think... Um, Although we are surgeons, majority of the work that we do is is non-surgical. We don't necessarily want to cut people open or operate on people because we know that majority of people don't need any type of surgery. They just need conservative treatment and they actually end up getting better. So I think the the role of the chiropractor for us is very important and it's an integral role because they are the the captain of the non-operative treatment. They're the ones controlling exactly how the patient will improve without surgery. And knowing that most of them will improve without surgery, they become very integral um, component to what we do. So how it becomes important for us is normally we don't even see the patient until the, the chiropractor has felt that they're not making an improvement or they found injuries and diagnoses in their treatment setting that are only really treatable with maybe something surgical or something more than just the therapy that they are doing. So I think that's really important for us knowing that once they've come to our doors, the the conservative care has really been exhausted and likely the injuries or the, the, the problems the patient had have already been identified. So that's number one. And the second thing that the chiropractors are very integral for what we do is the after the fact. So now let's say, unfortunately, the therapies and the conservative work didn't help. They come to us and then we we agree with the chiropractor. We say, yes, you're right. There was a a damaged disc or there was a, a slippage of a bone and we do our surgery and we fix it. And then, but we're not really done after that. I mean, surgery is just a very small part of a patient's recovery. So we'll do our part, but then the the hard part really becomes the post-operative care, the rehab, the physical therapy, the exercises, the muscle strengthening, all that we really rely upon the chiropractors to sort of take the baton at that point and continue it to take the patient really through the finish line. Because with poor conservative care or poor care after surgery, your outcome is going to be very poor. Um, So we really rely upon them before and after anything surgical that we do. And in terms of work up before a case comes to you? Are you, are you hoping that MRIs have been done already? Are you hoping that, 
I mean, obviously you're hoping the conservative care has been exhausted, meaning, you know, that that uh, other body parts have been worked on and that we've really were isolating the the injury to the to the part of the back that you can hopefully step in and help with. Um, but what what in terms of pre workup are you looking for? So I think the chiropractor has something that we don't have. They have a, a different type of relationship with the patient in the sense that they've seen them under multiple occasions, many more times than we as um, orthopedists will ever see them. So they really have a multiple snapshots of time of how the patient is doing. So we really rely upon them to, to convey that information to us because we won't be able to do it with one or two visits while they have maybe seen them 12 times, 20 times a much different picture. So I think what we value there is that they've been able to identify the injuries or the issue and give us an image of how it has transpired over a period of time. So the things that we value are number one, they've identified the injuries and what has been injured and what the problems are. We really do love it that they have MRIs and have their x-rays, all of those done. And it's great when the, the chiropractor is like, well, I've done the MRI, I found the problem. And I know what the problem is and I've done the best that we could to, to get it to get better. And now I can't treat it anymore. And I'd like you to do it. So those are really critical. And the other thing that I've noticed that unfortunately some chiropractors aren't doing in their reports, which I think is valuable to do not only in, in, in the clinical setting, but also I think in, in, in perhaps a personal injury setting is not only identifying all of the pains and the problems and the injuries that they may have at the first time they've seen them, but also start to document it as it goes through treatment. Meaning the first visit, maybe let's just hypothetically say a week after the accident, I'd love to know of all the body parts and everything that's hurting. Even if you think it's not significant, it may have value two, three, four months down the road, because you can look back and say, look, you had that problem. And now I found why you had that problem because I got, for example, an MRI or a nerve study. So I think that's important. And it's also really important throughout time, maybe in the middle of their treatment to do another update. Say now they have this pain, this pain, but throughout the last few weeks, we've been able to identify this new problem. Like now they have numbness that although they had it, but we never really identified, but now we're starting to see it. And then at the end, it, it's very important to say, this is where I began treatment. And now this is where I'm left off. And unfortunately, I, we can't get these things to improve these pains or these weaknesses to improve. I think those are very critical to, to document in, in as many reports as possible. And really it sounds like an isolation of the, of the, of the problem that, that you're, I mean, cause, cause in this setting, I mean, you're, you're, you're starting with the chiropractor, which we always call the quarterback of the case. Right. And they, like you said, they are the masters of the, of the non-surgical domain, but then they refer out to sort of specialists for special problems. So if there is a, a ridiculous a numbness that, you know, in, in the toes, for example, that's just not going away, no matter how much treatment they do. Well, okay. So now we've identified a specific problem, right? We, we, you know, an MRI shows that there's a disc bulge in the lower spine. And then now we've got tingling and numbness in the toes. Like, okay, this is, this is this, we've treated this for 20 visits. You know, we were able to make progress here, here, and here, this one still, still, we've got, you know, pain in the lower back and numbness in the toes. Dr. Roshan, here's a specific situation, a one problem, and we'd like you to intervene in this problem and, and, and take it to whatever that next level is. Um, sounds and like that's really the, the, what, what we're looking to do. 
Correct. That's exactly it. I think you mentioned it perfectly as far as being the, the, the quarterback in all of this, because they, like I said, they know them better than we will ever know them. And so the, yes, they will identify a, an issue that's not getting better. And then they would send it to us and say, can you fix this problem from your tool set? Uh, we weren't able to fix this one problem with our tool set. So we'll fix our that. And then we send them back to the, the chiropractors to continue their care. One of the important things that I, I truly like when I work with, with chiropractors is they have the ability to change the plan and alter our treatment plan. Very much different than, for example, someone else who doesn't have that ability because I can send a patient to a chiropractor or they may send it to me and, and we'll do the surgery and send it back to the chiropractor. And if they're just following quote unquote, my orders, that's not really that, that great because I, things change, the patient changes, they respond differently. So I think it's very important for them to have that ability. And they do where they, they may see them once or twice and say, look, I know Dr. Roshan or Dr. XYZ recommended this, but we need to, we need to change gears here because we can get a much better outcome with their recovery if we did now this pathway. And that's, I think, extremely valuable in, in all of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, I, I, I don't want to put words in all these doctors mouths, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's incredibly refreshing to hear, you know, I, I always like it when everybody sort of is aware of their skill set and aware of other people's skill sets. You know, it, it's, it's tough in the world of doctors to, to sort of have both the, the hubris, right. The, the, like, I, there's a certain amount of ego is the wrong word, but confidence bravado. There's a certain amount of that, that you almost have to have in order to cut somebody open and competently do your job. But then at the same time, I think you also have to have a very healthy dose of like, these are my parameters and anything that falls outside of that is squarely within somebody else's domain. And it's, it's no affront to me <laughs> to tell them that that's in their domain and it's not my domain. I, I, we very seldom, even on this podcast, but let alone out in the world, and I think the doctors would agree with this, hear, hear that sort of thing. That like, hey, look, I, I cut people open and I'm pretty good at making it minimally invasive and I'm pretty good at getting good outcomes and keep... but you know them better than I do. And you have the ability to alter treatment plans on the fly as you go, because, you know, I saw him on the, you know, pre-op and then I saw him in the operating room and I saw him post-op and then I'll see him six months later. Maybe you're going to see him the week after and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. And if three weeks down the road, my plan doesn't make sense anymore. I'm not equipped to make those kind of changes. That's not my model it is your mind, right? That's, I mean, that, that's your patient from beginning to end. And it's your ability to do that. And that's just a very refreshing take. And, and I think it's, I think it would behoove more doctors in more specialties to sort of view the, the, the patient in that totality of, of, uh, or, or continuum of, of treatment, as opposed to sort of viewing the world in the, you know, in that, in that proverbial for, for a hammer, you know, for a nail, every problem solved by a hammer kind of situation. Um, which is what, you know, for better or for worse, surgeons get that, get that sort of, uh, brand of like, well, of course, of course you thought they needed surgery. You're a surgeon. Um, and, and speaking of, so you, you were talking a little before about, um, how not everybody needs surgery and how a lot of people that come to you, most people that come to you don't need surgery for them. And obviously there's some portion of them that don't need any of your services and you kick them back to whomever they came from. But um, but for those that do need care, but not surgery, what, what options are you, uh, 
are you recommending and, and where are you seeing the most improvement, uh, for, particularly for victims of trauma? So traumatic events usually have something that went wrong or something that broke or something that changed in their body. And, and it's really treated in, in two ways. One, you, you either surgically fix it or you, you try to get rid of the pain associated with it and allow the patient to sort of live with the injuries that exist. For example, let's hypothetically say someone gets a, a herniated disc in their, in their back from an injury, from a fall, from a football accident, whatever it may be. Um, and that injury, even though there is an injury there, there's a herniation there, it doesn't necessarily require a surgical treatment. We don't have to go remove the disc and put implants in. So the other things that we tend to do a lot are, are injectables, meaning put some anti-inflammatory medication right where the problem is to reduce the inflammation, reduce the irritation, and, and perhaps the pain will be gone or it will be significantly reduced and the patient can cope with it, meaning they, they manage it and they deal with it. And as far as injectables, we have tons of injectable options. We, we've all only heard of like epidural injections or steroid-based injections, but I think that's an archaic um, thought process. Yes, there are epidural injections. There's all these steroid-based injections that we can do around the nerves, around the joints, around the discs, around the muscles. Yes, those are all there too. But I think modern research has really showed that you don't have to use steroid-based medications anymore. Now we have plasma-based um, injectables where we take the patient's blood, we process it, and we, we obtain the plasmas and the proteins and the growth factors that we know have anti-inflammatory properties, and then inject those into areas that we see injuries. And in fact, our, our group, we did a, a large research study that we're, we're in the process of publishing now where we looked at patients who had steroid-based spine injections versus plasma-based injections. And we found that both of them at the six-week time point and the three-month time point had identical outcomes. So why subject people to medications when you can use things that don't require medications? So injectables are, are one treatment that doesn't necessarily require surgery. The other things we can do are essentially burn painful nerves. For example, if there's a a joint that's damaged, we can burn the little sensory nerve that goes to that joint. And so the patient just doesn't perceive the pain anymore. It obviously doesn't solve the problem, but the patient doesn't perceive that pain and that buys them a little bit more time to hopefully perhaps maybe even delay surgery, or hopefully they'll be comfortable enough that we wouldn't even really need any surgery. So outside of surgery, there's million options that we have that we can avoid anything surgical. So one thing I've, I've sort of wondered, and it comes up not infrequently, is somebody will get a surgical recommendation that's sort of soft, right? They'll get a surgical recommendation that says like, you know, if additional treatment is unsuccessful, surgery may well be an option, you know, something that's soft, but, you know. And, and I think to myself, well, this patient's been dealing, you know, look at the date of accident. This patient's been dealing with, you know, lumbar spine pain for two and a half years now. Clearly, whatever broke <laughs> has yet to be fixed. It's still broken. I, I understand I'm, I'm using very crude terms, but it's, it, we're, we're, it, it, it's still not right back there. And so it seems to me that you can put Band-Aids on it. You can, you know, but, but that unless you do some sort of surgery, you're going to continue to experience this pain. It, it, and, you know, caveat, 
it could end up getting worse. The underlying problem that the cause of the pain could end up getting worse. If it's a disc bulge and you fall on it, it could bulge more if it's a, you know, so is that, is that the right way to think about it? Or am I sort of thinking about it more too simplistically? No, no. I think you're thinking of it correctly. There's always that balance of, do we just keep putting band-aids on it forever or do we just fix the problem so they don't have any issues? And the thing that we as, as, as surgeons have to think about is, Sure, I can do the surgery and, and fix you, but will that surgery have a long-term repercussion or long-term effect? So yes, I may make you better immediately, but long-term wise, I may be subjecting you to future problems. Um, so those are the balances that we have to consider, but you're absolutely right. And we have those discussions a lot with patients of, hey, you have this injury, we have a fix for it. Do you want to go down the pathway of just band-aids for many, many years or are you more inclined to fix it? And if you are inclined to fix it, let's make sure we do the right treatment that that fix doesn't have long-term issues. For example, you fuse the spine, the level above will break down faster. Those are things that we will have discussions with patients to avoid long-term issues, especially when, like you said, the surgery recommendations there, but it's not a crystal cut where have to do it or, or you're just not going to function. Good. What an opportunity. Yes. So Sean is here. He's got some very embarrassing questions for you. No, not embarrassing at all. Um, no, no comment. Uh, I'm asking you for no comment on this because we're running out of time, but uh, a lot of patients, they, they ask me the question, when I, when should I have surgery? Should I have surgery? Do I need surgery? And I come from a long, you know, three generation chiropractic family. My, my answer is usually this, uh, when you can't get out of bed, when you can't get out of bed, that's the time to consider, but that's, that is simplistic, but it's been a good rule for me. Uh, there's some people that just like to have surgery and for the life of me, I just, I don't understand it. One of the things I found very attractive about you, doctor, is your business model. Uh, and, and I find that you don't always do, uh, evaluating patients that are hurt in personal injury cases for the plaintiff, but once in a while you'll do work for an insurance company. Uh, what I find attractive about that, that makes you inherently fair and balanced. I think it's good for my cases that Dr. Roshan is, you know, has an opinion that's credible for all sides. So I understand that you don't have 100% one way or 100% the other way. Um, so that, from, a, from just a posturing point of view, when I'm dealing with insurance companies, uh, that's what I like to point out. Uh, how do you... How, when did you make that decision to do some work for insurance companies, but also treat patients? Because most of the time it's one or the other. Um, I think I, I started from the very beginning. Whenever I started to do clinical work, I, I was approached by both and I worked with both and it's been there from the very, very beginning. Hmm. And I think it adds balance and, and you're right. You really start to look at it in as much of an unbiased eye as you can. You're, you're trying to really look at it objectively as you can. So I think I've done it from the beginning and that's all I really know. I don't know it any other way. I, I think that, that that's a great answer. Alex, did you mention that uh, Dr. Roshan's going to be visiting with us personally in a few months? I didn't. When is he going to be visiting? That's going to be probably in November. Oh, be, oh be, in be, November. Be, be my best guest. And Dr. Roshan has numerous offices. Uh, we've been getting a, a very good. One of the things I always ask when we have a, a new doctor, particularly a surgeon, I talk to the clients afterwards to see how the recovery is. 
and what the bedside manner was, let alone, you know, the, the, the success of the surgery. So that that's important to me. I'm sure everybody on this phone call does or on assume does the same thing, but I really want to know outcomes. Outcomes is all important to me. Doctor, I'm grateful that you're here. I'm going to let Alex wrap this up. Uh, I'd like to hear from you, doctor, Sean Steele at SeanSteele.com. Um, let's give a letter grade to Alex. Uh, and uh, you tell me confidentially uh, where he could beef it up, how he could do a better job, more pensive questions, better facial expressions, a better background. Just whatever you suggestions you have, I'll take it to heart. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Roshan, I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, feel free to email Sean about how great <laughs> I did. That's always appreciated. Um, we did have a question, Doc, and I'm not sure how you want to take a crack at it from Dr. Barry, 80-year-old uh, patient, had multiple steroid injections on his cauda equina. Hopefully, this is a body part you're familiar with. I missed that day of law school. Now he is in agony. Opioid and NSAID prescriptions are not working. Um, I'm guessing the question is, what now? Um, and I don't know that that's enough information, but insofar as you can make a, an opinion out of that. Yeah. So I, obviously it's not enough information. We don't know where their pains are and what their um, MRIs or anything shows, but um, based on what you hear, if an injection has failed, they obviously have some type of pathology or injury or something in, in their back that necessitated those injections. And then a catequina injection, essentially a lower lumbar epidural type injection. So a couple of things that you have to take in mind is number one, obviously the conservative treatment failed. And so the things that you have to consider is now you have an 80 year old patient. So you want to do whatever is safe for the patient. So if they're not a healthy 80 year old, really consider just continuing with injections, even though they're not ideal, but let's hypothetically say they're very healthy. And at that point, the real decision is, do you want surgery or do you not? And the way we always try to make that decision with the patient is if I can fix it. If there's a fix to it, I say, look, I can fix it and I can give you this much improvement, but for you to decide whether you want it, you need to see how much this issue affects your life. Are you not active? Are you not walking? Are you, are you changing your lifestyle? Are you not going out with your family or hanging out with your friends because of this? Then yes, I think if we fix it, we're going to get that life back in order for you because we know that activity leads to longevity. Um, so that's how I would really approach it of first identify if it's, if they're a healthy patient and then have that thorough discussion with the patient of what can we get you better if we were to surgically fix it. So, I mean, and, and that's great. I mean, really, it sounds like what we're talking about is that there's more, there's more to it than just a medical question of can this, can surgery repair this person's, you know, disability. I mean, the, the answer might be, yeah, but they're inactive and have multiple other, it sounds like this person is obese, uh, spinal stenosis, Dr. Barry is saying. So, I mean, it sounds like this person very well might not live or previously lived an active lifestyle or, or go back to an active lifestyle, maybe surgery, not the best option, uh, given the, you know, the possibility for, for a bad outcome, given the comorbidities. Flip side is if it's, you know, an 80 year old Phil Mickelson, and he's now not able to golf anymore. Well, the surgery might get him back to golfing and then golfing for an 80 year old is, you know, going to extend his life a couple of years. I mean, like in, in those instances, it might make a lot of sense to, to forego the, the risk. I mean, it's a risk reward sort of analysis. It sounds like. Absolutely. Exactly. That's why we always say never treat the, the MRI or the image. You always have to treat the, the whole patient. Yeah. That's so important. I mean, especially in a PI case where, you know, a, a lot of times where the, the, the insurance companies and the, the, the attorneys on the other side are, 
you know, until they've gotten to the point of a deposition, they're forced to sort of treat the the patient as a result of their medical records and and, and objective scans and those sorts of things. They're not able to sort of treat the patient uh, as a whole. And that's why a lot of the reports that come out of chiropractor's offices and, and, and Dr. Rochelle's reports as well. Um, but like you were saying, the detail that comes out of a chiropractor's report can be so valuable in those instances, because like you said, the decision to have surgery or not have surgery is a complicated one. And, you know, a surgical recommendation that leads to the patient ultimately not having surgery really doesn't paint the whole picture. It doesn't mean they didn't need surgery. It doesn't mean they didn't want surgery. It might just mean surgery was not a great option for that particular patient. And that can probably be best articulated by a chiropractor who can tell the whole story of why that would be. Um, Doc, we got like 90 seconds left and I want to say a couple of things. First of all, and most obviously, thank you for coming on. Um, these things are so, so helpful. The doctors get, I, I think, a ton out of them. I get a ton out of them. Um, and I just think it's so important for everybody involved in the personal injury process to understand what everybody else is doing in the process um, because it's so easy, even in my line of work, to just get fixated on what I'm doing in motions and briefs and depositions and forget to sort of take a step back and go, now, we're dealing with people these are, and we're dealing with their health and, and there's, 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 there's tools in our tool bag, right, to get them better. And chiropractors have lots of tools, and but, but Dr. Roshan is, you know, factors in as one of those tools in, in, in some sense. So I think that's really important. And I think you coming on here and being willing to talk to everybody uh, is, goes a long way to facilitate that, that, uh, that bridge um, between chiropractor and, and physician. So I, I really want to thank you for coming on and doing that. Oh, I did want to plug uh, November, you will be speaking at our advanced seminar we do every single year. Uh, this will be our second year back in person. We did it last year. At the end of the year, we're going to do it again this year. Uh, it's uh, usually it's up in Los Angeles. I believe it will be again this year. Um, so uh, everyone who is listening, stay tuned for those tickets. But Dr. Roshan will be one of our speakers this year, uh, as well as many other great live speakers. Um, this, as always, will be on iTunes and Google and Audible and everywhere else you can get a podcast uh, within the next couple of hours. It's also going to be placed on YouTube, hopefully within the next day. Tell your friends. Uh, like, share, subscribe, all the things that you can do to a podcast. And uh, that's pretty much it. Oh, oh, Dr. Rashawn, how can they get in touch with you if they want to ask you a question or for a patient or something like that? Oh, yeah. You guys can call me or text us anytime. But let me give you my email address. That might be the easiest. Um, it's just Roshan, R-O-W-S-H-A-N, at NewportCare.org. That might be the best way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Thank you so much for giving your, course, your email address. And if, if they need to get a hold of you, if somebody didn't get that down, you can email me, uh, Alexander Eisner at SeanSteel.com or Sean, SeanSteel at SeanSteel.com. And we will get you hooked up with the right place. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone.